Well, hello all the way from San Antonio. It is great to be in Johannesburg with you this amazing Sunday. I want to take this time and I just want to thank Apostle Theo for the opportunity to speak and to speak from his home to you all the way over there in CFC Johannesburg. It's such a privilege and an honor for me to be there. I've known Apostle Theo for many years, actually since I was a baby, he has known me and I've been in South Africa. I've been to the church many times before. Uh, 1995, I remember I was there for a celebration. I was there for the 30th celebration. And it's great to be a part of the CFC family. And I must say, you must be so proud to be a part of such an incredible church as CFC Johannesburg. With all that you are doing around the world, you should be proud to call CFC your home. Again, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. How many of you are ready to get into the Word and study the Word? Well, the title of my message this morning is Making Room for the Supernatural. Making Room for the Supernatural. Let me ask you, how many of you would like to see a miracle from God in your life? How many of you would like to see more miracles, more of the supernatural in your life? Well, this message is for you. We're going to jump right into 2 Kings 4.9 with Elisha and the Shunammite woman. So 2 Kings 4 verse 9, it says, And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy, anointed man of God who passes by us regularly. Now the King James Bible says passes by, passes by us continually. Now this is in reference to Elisha, the prophet, and how he, through the power of God, could work mighty miracles. He was the one who had the double portion. We know that Elijah did many miracles. He parted the Jordan River. He called fire down from heaven. But Elisha had received a double portion from Elijah. And therefore, we see that he did twice as many miracles as Elijah. So she said to her husband, I've noticed that the power of God in this vessel is passing by us continually. And then she said, if you read on, let's add a room. I don't want him just to pass us by, but I want to make room for the miraculous in my life. I want to make room for the supernatural. She had a desire. She wanted more. Come on, lift up your hands if you have a desire. Lift up your hands if you want more. Come on. But yet, how many believers come to church every week, go through the motions, and leave the same way that they came? I know I've been guilty of it myself. It's so easy to come to church, to clap your hands, to sing along, to shout amen, and to go home without having an encounter with God. It's so easy to go through those emotions. But let me tell you, the power of God is in this building right now. The miracle working power of God. If you need a miracle in your life, God is here to provide and to give you that miracle. He already has. But it's so easy to leave church without having that encounter. Everyone say this. Say, every day there is an opportunity for the supernatural in my life. I just need to make room for it. Now let me ask you, how many of you would like to see a miracle from God in your family? How about a miracle from God in your marriage? Now, if you're sitting next to your wife or your husband, don't shout amen to that too loud. What about a miracle from God in your finances? What about a miracle from God in your health or in your job? Then let's make room for the supernatural. Notice with the Shunammite woman that the anointing was passing by constantly, but it did not do her any good. Then the Bible says that when they had built a room for the prophet, that he turned in and dwelt there. 
because they made room for a miracle. We have to make room for the supernatural in our life. Here's four quick scriptures I'm going to give you on how easy it is for your miracle to pass by. Luke 18, 37, it says, Jesus was passing by. Luke 19, 1, Jesus passed through Jericho. Mark 6, 48, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And the Bible says, and he would have passed them by. Jesus was walking on the water, and he would have passed them by if they didn't stop and get his attention. Come on. And then 2 Kings, we see Elijah was passing by the Shunammite woman on a regular basis. It's not enough to know that the Spirit of God is here today because he is. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there he is. But according to these scriptures, it is possible for God to pass by, for the miracle working of power of God to be in the building, and for it not to do us any good. If we don't first make room for the supernatural in our life. So the question is today, how do we make room for the supernatural? Again, it's not a question if God can do a miracle. No, he can. But the question is, what will it do for you? So there's two areas in particular that I want to speak to you about on how we can make room for the anointing. Number one, courageous faith makes room for the anointing. Can you say that? Say courageous faith makes room for the anointing. We're going to look at this, a story in 1 Samuel 14. And in 1 Samuel 14, we see that the Israelites are facing the Philistine army as they had many times before. This time they are surrounded, they are afraid, and they are facing certain death. Now I know sometimes we hear in the Bible about how things were really bad. But I want to tell you that this time was really bad. Really, really, really bad. Not like, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon. You're really hungry because you're late for church. You didn't eat breakfast and came to church. And now you're leaving church and you decide you're going to go to Steers Burger. And you, you pull up and you, you can just taste the burger. You know, you can just taste that juicy. Oh, it's so good. I can taste it now as I'm talking to you. You pull up and you, you get in there and you, you order your meal. And, and all of a sudden, boom, the power goes out. It's power shedding. Sorry, we're closed for the day. No, that's bad. But I want to tell you that this time is much worse. Much, much worse. Do you want to hear the stats? Here's the stats. So the Philistines' army had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand of the seashore against 600 Israelites. Only 600 Israelites. Let me ask you, have you ever felt outnumbered? Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Maybe you looked at all the bills that came in this month and you just feel completely overwhelmed and outnumbered. Maybe you've seen the doctor's health report and you don't like it, and you feel completely overwhelmed, what do we do? Say, but God, but God. So here, the Israelites are completely overwhelmed, outnumbered. And to make matters worse, it gets worse, believe it or not, King Saul and Jonathan were the only two Israelites in the entire army who had a sword. Everybody else had good old Mike and good old Tyson, if you know what I'm saying. Nothing else, only two swords in the entire army. So we continue the story in 1 Samuel 14. It says, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistines garrison that's on the other side. But he did not tell his father. It was between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines garrison. There's a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. 
Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, I love his confidence here. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. But then he says this. He says, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. I'm going to say that again. This is powerful. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. We need to remember this. Don't ever be intimidated or impressed by numbers. No, don't be intimidated or impressed by numbers. Imagine the boy who came to Jesus with the five loaves and the two fish. What if he came to Jesus and he was intimidated by the multitudes and the crowds? Well, all I have is five loaves and two fish. What can this do? No. Remember, take what's in your hand, bring it to Jesus, and watch what he will do with what is in your hands. Don't be intimidated or impressed by numbers. No. We live from the realm of an abundant supply. Amen? So let's continue the story. The armor bearer, says, let's go. I'm with you. I'm with you, Jonathan. So what's your battle plan? So Jonathan begins telling him his battle plan. In verse 8, it says, very well, let's cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hands and this will be a sign to us. Now, I'm not a military expert, but if I could say, I don't think this is the best military plan available. Number one, Jonathan says, let's get out in the open and let's make sure they see us. Now, if there's two of you and a huge army, and now you show yourself, you've lost the element of surprise. That's, that's a big mistake, number one. And then Jonathan says, if they say, come up here, then maybe the Lord has delivered them to us. But if they say, no, just stay down there, well, he didn't even have a plan for that. Maybe their plan was to die. I don't know. It wasn't a good plan. Okay, so it's not a great plan. But remember this. Many times, God does victory different than how we expect. He does victory very different. So verse 11, we continue. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison, garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, we will show you something. Now that sounds promising, doesn't it? Come up here, we're going to show you something. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And then the Bible says that now Jonathan began to climb up this rock. It was a sharp rock. And now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like rock climbing to me, him climbing up this sharp rock. Now, if you don't know me, I love to go rock climbing. I love to go climbing these big cliffs. Of course, always with a rope. But Apostle hates it when I go climbing. I know, I know he absolutely hates it. He always says, why? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? Do you have to do this? But I found a scripture here that when I'm rock climbing, I'm actually being a doer of the word by climbing the rocks. You know, the Bible says, go up to the mountain and seek the Lord. I'm going up the mountain. So I'm standing on the word when I'm climbing these scriptures. Now, when I preached this in San Antonio, he texted me afterwards and he said, I'm going to need a few more scriptures before you get me out there. So I'm looking for a few more scriptures to find him so maybe I can get him out climbing. I don't know. So as they got to the top of this mountain, they begin to fight. And the Bible says that God gave them the upper hand. Verse 14, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp in the field, and among all the people. The garrison 
and the raiders also trembled. And the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now I want to tell you, according to Philippians 1.28, when we say no to fear, it reminds the devil that he's doomed. Too often, Satan tries to use the tactic of fear to keep us restrained, to keep us held back, locked away. But when we say no to fear, it reminds Satan that he is doomed. Here are two people that come against the whole army of the Philistines. And news begins to spread into the camp of the enemy, into the field, and to the raiders. So much so that the Bible says the ground begin to shake. My friends, that is a miracle. They made room for the supernatural, and God began to move on their behalf. That's a miracle. Can you shout amen? As we're talking about the supernatural, I want to quickly give you my definition of the supernatural. You want to hear it? Well, I'm going to tell it to you anyways. The supernatural is God's super on my natural. Come on, say that. Say God's super on my natural. We see that these two young men, they stepped out in courageous faith, and the supernatural happened. And they turned what would have been certain death and defeat into a victory for which only God could get the glory. When we step out in courageous faith, heaven always responds with glory. Many times we wait for the glory. Many times we wait for that unction to function before we step out. But just like Peter, he had to step out of the boat. He had to step out of the boat. And as he stepped out of the boat, the power of God, the super, came on his natural. And he began walking on the water. And in the same way, when we step out in courageous faith, Heaven responds with glory. I remember one time I was at a gym. I was actually at a rock climbing gym. I was rock climbing with a friend of mine. It was him and one of his friends who was an atheist and doesn't believe in God at all. And we're climbing and my friend says his back hurts. And he's telling me about how his back hurts. And, you know, we're out at the gym hanging out. And all of a sudden I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, you need to pray for him. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. But when I'm at the gym, I'm not really in the mood to go lay hands on somebody and pray for them. It's just not really the right environment, you know. Like if you're at church, hey, yeah, let me pray for you. That sounds great. But at a gym, really? So I thought, well, I don't know. So we continued climbing on that night. And at the end of the night, as we're wrapping up, I remember I just felt again in my heart, you need to pray for him. You need to pray for him. So I thought, okay, all right, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. So I stepped out. This is stepping out in courageous faith. I mean, if I might say so myself. So I say to him, I say, hey, I'd love to pray for you. And I believe when I pray for you, God's going to heal your back. And he looked at me like, you're crazy. You know, then I looked at his friend who's the atheist and he, his eyes got really big like, whoa, you're smoking some bad weed or something. I don't know what's going on. So I said, why don't you sit down? I'm going to measure your legs and we'll take it from there. You know what Apostle Theo does? So I had him sit down. I grab his legs and I measure him. And sure enough, one leg is longer than the other. So I say, okay, we're going to pray. And as we pray, I believe God is going to heal you. Do you agree? And my friend just looks at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the friend who's an atheist, his eyes just got even bigger. So sure enough, I pray and I muster up like the best prayer I can pray. And I pray for him in the name of Jesus. And would you believe what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. I thought, no, what's going on? I'm out on a limb here, you know, like Jesus help me. I, I mean, I built this whole thing up and now nothing happens. So so I said, okay, we're going to pray again. Like, I, that's all I can do at this point. I'm committed. So I said, okay, let's pray again. So as I pray the second time, thank God, I felt the power of God flow. His leg grows out. And I, I say, do you see that? He says, yes, I saw that. I said, stand up. Tell me the pain's there. So he stands up and he goes, no, there's no pain. I go, Jesus healed you. 
And you should have seen his eyes. He didn't know what to think. His atheist friend, his eyes got even bigger. He really didn't know what to make of this. So the night goes on, and my friend, he keeps checking for the pain, and he just doesn't know what to make of this. And I remember we get to his car. I walk into his, his Jeep at the end of the night, and as he's about to get in, he goes, well, normally my back hurts when I get in the Jeep. So I said, okay, get in. So he gets in, and I remember he's looking around, and he goes, it's no pain. It's no pain. He can't make sense if I go, Jesus healed you. You know, get it, get it through your head. Jesus healed you. So that is God's miracle-working power happening, and it only would have happened, it only happened because I stepped out in courageous faith. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy, but I had to step out and see how God moved. We see the same thing happen with the woman with the issue of blood. She stepped out into the crowd. She could have been stoned. She could have been killed, but she stepped out in courageous faith, and when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she was instantly healed. We see miracles happen when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. You know, if I was Pharaoh, I wouldn't, Pharaoh didn't have to entertain Moses. He could have said, who's this guy? Let's kill this guy. I don't need to listen to this. He could have killed Moses. But Moses stepped out in courageous faith and said, let my people go. And when he said that, look at the many miracles that took place because of his courageous faith. Amen. Say this, say, when I step out in courageous faith, Heaven always responds with glory. Now, one more thing to note about courageous faith. Not only will it make room for the supernatural, but it will also inspire others around us. So watch this. The Bible says that when Jonathan and his armor bearer went and started this attack on the enemy, that the the noise in the enemy's camp got so loud that it got the attention of Saul and his army. They heard the noise, so they took a roll call to figure out who was missing. And they figured out that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer. So they began planning, saying, what can we do? What can we do? And the Bible says that the noise got so loud that Saul drew his sword. Remember, the only other sword in the entire army. And he said, let's go into battle. All right, now it even gets better. The Bible says that there were Israelites who had left the camp of the Israelites and joined the Philistines. And when they saw what was going around, when they saw what was happening, they too jumped in and fought. The good fight. And I tell you what, it's the same thing for us today. There's so many believers who have left the church, maybe out of hurt, maybe out of offense, or for whatever reason, they've left and they've joined really the enemy's camp. They're hanging out with them. They're just hanging out there. Maybe they've given up. But when they see you step out in courageous faith, they will be inspired as well to jump in, join the body once again, and fight the good fight of faith. And now it gets better even one more time. Believe it or not, the Bible says that there are Israelites They hadn't joined the Philistines' camp, but no, they were out in isolation. They were out hiding away in the rocks all by themselves. And when they heard the noise, when they heard what was going on, they too jumped in and fought. And you know, family, today isn't it true that so many believers are out in isolation. They're hiding out in fear. They're all alone, and they want to stay away from the body for whatever reason. But they too, when they see you step out in courageous faith, They will be inspired as well to jump in and join the body once again and fight the good fight of faith. So the question I want to ask you today is, will you step out in courageous faith and make room for the supernatural? Will you step out and contend for a miracle in your life? God has put a plan and a purpose in your heart. You know what it is. It's that Ephesians 3.20 life. God says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could dare to ask or think. We step out and contend for that Ephesians 3.20 life. Amen? So number one, courageous faith makes room for the supernatural. 
Point number two, are you ready? We're going to get there. We're going to start off in 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings, we read that King Ahab was king at the time, and he was not a good king. In fact, the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all the other kings who were before him. And then in verse chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now Elijah, we talked about Elisha earlier. This is Elijah. Elijah, who, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give word. Now, this is a courageous act on its own. Could you imagine walking up to the president of South Africa and saying, hey, just letting you know, until I give word, there's going to be no rain in South Africa. You know, rain is a huge part of the economy in today's age, but especially back in those days. Rain was a huge part of the economy. Basically, Elijah was saying, I'm going to crash your economy, and there's nothing you can do about it until I give word, right? So now, the Bible says that three years go by, three years. Could you imagine the desperate need of a miracle that that country was in after three years of no rain? I mean, imagine if South Africa didn't have rain for three years. What would it be like? Where would all the toilet paper be? You say, what does toilet paper have to do with no rain? I have no idea. And maybe it's like that over there. It's definitely like this here in America. When something bad happens, all the toilet paper just disappears off the shelf. It is gone. It is gone. So the country was in desperate need of a miracle. There had been no rain for three years. There had been no toilet paper for three years. And now Elijah finally comes to King Ahab to present himself. And the Bible, we pick up the story in 1 Kings 18, 19. It says, Elijah said to the king, he said, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So Elijah said, Okay, let's go ahead. You prepare your sacrifice, and I will prepare mine. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar they made. And about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Now, I love this about Elijah. I love the kind of guy he is. He just begins making fun of them. He's like, this is a great comedy. I haven't seen a comedy in a while. I'm just having a great time. He starts saying, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. He just went below the belt. He goes, maybe he's relieving himself and he doesn't have any toilet paper. He needs some help here. Hello. Or maybe he is away on a trip or he is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal customs, they began to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, there was no reply, and there was no response. And I tell you, isn't that just like the world? To promise these big, wonderful things, but when it comes time for the rubber to meet the road, the world can offer you nothing. There will be no reply, there will be no response. Come on. So then Elijah called to the people. He said, come over here. Everyone, come on over here. Gather around, gather around. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. 
much like the Shunammite woman, which we talked about in the first story, who prepared a place for the anointing, Elijah began to make room for the anointing by building an altar of sacrifice. This is point number two. How do we make room for the supernatural? By building an altar of sacrifice. We see in verse 31, then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled the wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. When they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. And then verse 38, as soon as he said, amen, the Bible says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Amen. So what was it in this story that attracted the supernatural? How did he make room for the supernatural? Many times we read in the story and we think, wow, how he wet the wood so it'd make it more difficult to burn. But wait, let's think about this for a moment. It had not rained for three years. The country was in a severe drought. And Elijah instructed them to fill up four large containers of water. And he said, I want you to fill up these containers of water and pour it over the altar. So they did what he said. Some of the most precious, probably the most precious commodity of the day was water. In a drought, that's the most precious thing. And he said, I want you to pour this out over the altar. So they did as he said. And he said, now I want you to go and get more and do it a second time. So they did it a second time. Then he said, I want you to do it a third time. So they went and took it and they did it a third time. Pouring out potentially some of the last water that they had over this altar. Family, when we build an altar of sacrifice, and I'm not talking about tithing, I'm not talking about just normal offerings, but I'm talking about a sacrificial, costly offering. We attract the supernatural in our life. Now, I'm not here to fundraise. I promise I'm not here to fundraise. But I will say this, I've seen this in my life over and over and over again. When we step out into this realm of giving, we will make room for the supernatural in our life. Amen. We started out today in 2 Kings 18 with the Shunammite woman making a room. Well, let me tell you, building a room is a costly sacrifice. And look at the many miracles that took place in her life after she did this. The Bible says that she desired a son and God gave her a son. Years went by and her son died. And then the prophet came back and raised her son from the dead. He was brought to life. The many miracles that took place in her life because she stepped out and made room for the anointing by building an altar of sacrifice. We go back to the story of Elijah. After fire came down from heaven, the very next verse, Elijah said this. He said, I hear, come on, I hear The sound of the abundance of rain. Can you shout that out with me? Say, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Whatever your challenge is, maybe it's a health challenge, maybe it's a financial challenge, just declare that over your challenge. Say, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. 
Family, when we build an altar of sacrifice, not only will it attract the supernatural fire of God down on our life, but it will attract the supernatural abundant blessing and prosperity that God has for us. Amen. I've seen this in my my own life, and I want to share a quick testimony on what God's done in my life. Going back to about 2008, I was 20 years old at the time. I was just 20 years old. And at the time, I was living in Hawaii, and I had a swimming pool business. And my sister, she was actually in Tampa, Florida with Rodney Howard Brown. Many of you might know him. And we were talking, and I was planning a trip to Tampa, and I was going to come for a camp meeting that Rodney was having. And as we're talking, she said, well, you know, Rodney, she was actually working at his house at the time. And she said, well, Pastor Rodney would love a saltwater system. And I said, well, I know how to install those. So we worked out an arrangement. I sent in an estimate and Pastor Rodney said, yes, I'd love to have you come install that. So when I went to Tampa, I took the saltwater system with me. I went and installed it in his swimming pool, enjoyed the camp meeting. At the end of the camp meeting, I remember walking up to him in the back of his sanctuary and I had the invoice in my hand. Now, remember, I was 20 years old at the time, and this invoice is for about $2,000. And at the time, $2,000, which I think is about uh, 28,000 rand, if, if my equation is right. So I brought the invoice to him, and he said, well, what do I owe you? And as I was about to give it, I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, I don't want you to charge him. I want you to sow this. Now, again, I was 20 years old. This is a huge gift for me at the time. It still is a big gift now, but it was a huge gift at the time. I tore up the invoice, and I said, I want to bless you with it. And as I said that, he kind of stepped back. I I could see he was in a bit of shock. And he stepped forward, and he laid his hands on me. And as he laid his hands on me, I felt the power of God just come all over me. And there's been a few times where I felt the power of God so strongly. And I just dropped to the floor. And I remember as I dropped to the floor, he prophesied over me. And he said, I want to tell you, whatever you put your hands to will turn to gold. That's what he said. So a few months went by, I was in Hawaii, and I got a call from a business to come out and give me an estimate on their swimming pool. And of course, I was in the swimming pool business, so I said I'd be happy to come out, and they wanted me to do some maintenance on it, regular maintenance. So I went out, I looked at this pool, and as I walked up to the pool, it was the biggest pool I'd ever seen in my life. It was a huge Olympic-sized swimming pool, 750,000 gallons. It was 50 meters by 25 meters it was just a massive pool. And now I'm 20 years old. I remember walking up, looking around, thinking, this is a huge pool. I'm a bit over my head. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep my best business face on. I'm going to look, put a smile on my face and say, no problem. Yes, sir. So I remember walking around the pool. Then they showed me the equipment room. Now the equipment room was a massive warehouse. It was huge. I mean, the pipes in the room were just about this size. The motor was the size of a motorcycle, just massive, massive equipment. And I walked in there and said, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And kept my head high. And he said, can you give us an estimate? I said, of course. So I went home. I prepared an estimate. I sent it in. And I remember I made a decision that I was going to begin sewing $500 a month until I got that contract. I stepped out in faith. So that Sunday, I remember writing out the envelope, sewed $500 in the offering. Month goes by, nothing happens. Second month, 500 in the offering, goes by, nothing happens. Third month, so $500 in the offering, it goes by, nothing happens. Fourth month, I sow 500 in the offering, and I remember as I was writing it out, I thought, am I wasting my time? It's been four months. I mean, after four months, you would think they'd have a decision already. 
And I remember thinking, well, if God doesn't have this for me, he has something better, so I'm going to sow it in any case. So I remember I dropped in the offering bag. And surely that week, I got a phone call. And I remember the guy's name was Monty. Monty calls me and he says, hey, do you remember us? And I'm thinking, yeah, I remember you. It's been four months. Where have you been? You know, that's what I'm thinking. But I said, of course, yes, yes. And he said, well, we want to hire you. We want to give you the contract. Can we meet? So I drove over and I remember sitting next to this huge swimming pool at a picnic bench. And he pulls out my estimate. And as he pulls out my estimate, he says, there's just one problem. It's about the money. And my heart kind of sank because... This was a very competitive price that I gave, and I really wanted the contract, so I didn't have a lot of room to wiggle. And he goes, no, there's just one problem with this. He goes, it's not enough. It's not enough. We want to triple it. Yes, they tripled what my estimate was. That was the supernatural, abundant blessing of God. They didn't have to triple it. I could have made good money with how it was, but no, they tripled it. And that took my business to the next level. That launched me to where I had to hire employees. I'm 20 years old and now I'm hiring employees. I'm having to buy more trucks. It just launched me to the next level. Come on, how many of you are ready to go to the next level in what God has for you? Well, when we step out and build an altar of sacrifice, we make room for the anointing in our life. I can tell you story after story after story of how God has moved in my life after I've built an altar of sacrifice, after I've stepped out in courageous faith. So this morning, I hope you've enjoyed this message. And I want to encourage you, make room for the supernatural and see what God does in your life. Amen. Right now, I'm going to ask the pastors to come and continue with the service. God bless you.